Hello and welcome to another podcast by the School of Surgery entitled Enhancing Your Surgical CV. My name is Dr Naomi Lasker and I'm joined today with Mr Lund. Hello. And uh, Dr James Blackwell. Hi there. So, just to introduce the aims that we're going to talk about today. So we've got the audits, presentations, prizes and competitions, research and publications, courses, exams, teaching, leadership, logbook and interviews. So let's kick off audits. Uh, from my own experience, I've heard that you know if you you can do a couple of audits as a med student if if you you know very organised and you manage to, but um, otherwise I've heard that when you're an F one F two, try to do uh, one audit per rotation. Is that what you found, James? I think the the F two requirement when I just finished F two was that you had to do one audit and you had to present it. Ideally, you close the loop on one. Uh, that can often be really difficult in a four-month attachment. Um, and I think that if you're very efficient, then you can get one done in each rotation, but possibly it's better to concentrate your time on doing one really quality one or two over a year period, ensuring that you close the loop on both of them, mm. as opposed to trying to beat one out every single uh, attachment that you do. Because there's always a lot of lead-up time to starting an audit and then finishing one, and before you know it, you're on to your next job, and actually, it's, it's really difficult to go back and spend the, the time data collecting or getting hold of your seniors that you need to help you to finish the audit. Yeah, or you just take your time, doesn't it? Because you have yeah. to have it registered with the audit department, come up with the idea, mm. talk talk about it, come up with the protocol, go to the audit department, have it signed off, and then there may be some time collecting the data, etc. It does take quite a while, and so you're not going to start it you know, in your first four months, maybe, because you're just settling in as a doctor, aren't you? And, mm. And after that, so it it does it does take quite a while. I would say completed cycle audits do count for a lot more yeah. in selection processes, and it's probably a lot more satisfying because you've seen something and you've intervened and hopefully made it better, which which much be better. I think one of the other things is if you know most F one and F two jobs are divided up into four month blocks, mm. and three of you go around a year. So if you can join up with the other two on that particular rotation you can go around and finish each other's audits off mm. and it's it's mutually beneficial so a bit of team working can help but those sometimes a little bit tricky to organize <laughs> what sort of topics would you suggest i, I think that the topic necessarily isn't that important getting an achievable audit that you can finish mm. is the most important thing um when you start doing research and audit you want to be really autonomous but actually i think you you have to take the lead from your seniors and you have to see how it's been done before and ask for their advice the whole way through because otherwise you'll end up in a dead end spending a huge amount of time that comes to nothing. And I think you'd be surprised actually if you get onto a good project or a good audit, it can be quite easy uh, to achieve sort of a presentation or a poster or something. Um, whereas if you if you plug away blindly with not really knowing what you're doing, then you can waste an awful lot of time. Mm. Um, Guidelines come out all the time in different areas and you can always audit against those guidelines because the likelihood is that your clinical area isn't going to be quite up to speed with a brand new guideline that comes out. Um, and things that generally irritate you in the workplace or you don't understand something about why it seems to be inefficient, you can audit against that and see whether you can make maybe a service provision or make the service slightly better uh, just by your own observations. Mm. Yeah, so... I, I, uh... So service improvement is another thing as well, isn't it? So it's slightly yeah. to audit, and you can look it up online and see what different definitions are. But you can do really sort of short service improvement mm. uh, with a PDSA 
uh, cycle. You can you can look that up. I was going to say. Uh, just... <laughs> and, but it, it, it's very 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 easy to do. So uh, service improvement will tick the same box as audit. Yeah. And I say that you know so the you know nice are always bringing out new guidelines in whatever area and, and other professional associations, association of surgeons or association mm. of gastroenterologists or association of you know whatever, and. It, when, when they come out, it's an opportunity to do an audit because your your department won't be up to speed, or it'd be very unlikely. Mm. And then you can intervene and make it and bring it up to speed, and that's that'll be quite satisfying, I think, to do that. But the ones I've done over the years, the one where I've gone around and something's really irritated me. And I thought, <laughs> why do we do it? Like this seems so inefficient, yeah. or, or so wrong. And then because no one's thought of it, you can you really get, but you get a lot more out of that. You know, it's something you that you appreciate. I think the bottom line is, if if you can't think of anything, there you go to the audit lead in your trust, yeah. and there will be rolling audits. So you know, one of the ones always rolling with VTE prophylaxis, weekend plans, uh, checking of results, AKI things like that. So there will be rolling audits that you can get involved in if you, you know, just as a or just to get you going to get get you going with the process. So it's not not too hard. But I would say at the beginning as well, like with all these things, try and think it through. You you probably don't want to do the 47th VTE audit in that trust where you aren't going to be able to present it anywhere that's going to be of value to you in terms of gaining extra skills in presentation so you want to have something that's quite new quite topical that people will enjoy hearing about, be interested in hearing about so you can take it to a regional or a national meeting and present it as a poster or a, a podium presentation so you improve your presentation skills you get the presentation together, you get an abstract and you get a publication, you know, you go to somewhere where the, where the abstract is going to be published so you can kill quite a few birds with one stone at the same time enjoying doing and doing something useful as well I think you've quite nicely gone into our second topic there which oh, is that's... about presentations um, so yeah, I think first and foremost you can present any audit that you've done mm. um, and that's a good way of, of getting a presentation under your belt as well um, but what other things, James, do you think we can present? Um, I think it's important to know that uh, there are different levels of presentation out there um, from posters to oral presentations but uh, the conferences change as well in that there are medical student-specific conferences, um, and the, your first opportunity would be if you've done an intercalated, intercalated degree and you have a BSc. Uh, some of the research that you do there is really high level, uh, and that should be your first CV bolster. Um, nag your supervisor, and you can at least get a poster out of it, take it to a medical, even a medical student conference, and you've shown already 18 months in advance of becoming a doctor that you're interested uh, you're going to go down the academic path and you build your CV early. Um, then moving into sort of fourth and fifth year, I would I was fortunate to attach myself to a, a really productive registrar, uh, which is a, a a minefield in itself. <laughs> you have to find somebody that is productive and attach yourself to them, um, and also at the same time prove that you're productive, uh, and then that that opens doors for you, um, and then you want to kind of attach yourself to a piece of their work that's going to go to a national conference, international conference. Um, Do even, these count for different points, the national and international? Yeah, I think so. On the uh, the, the point team, once you get to um, core trainee or academic foundation programme, they do. Um, so aim high and aim big, and you have to do a bit of nagging and things and try and get people to submit these mm. things. But if, you, if you're prepared to do a bit of the legwork, then that always helps. Well, yeah, I think, I think I so. First, pick your supervisor. Pick a person with yeah. a track record. I mean, I think there's. I, I see a lot of people who go to somebody and have some massive idea, 
and it never comes to anything because it's mm. impractical. You can't get the data, or it's too big in scope, mm. or it takes too long to collect, or to do, or the intervention it just runs over a long time. So, go to someone who's got a good track record of turning round things for people at your stage, and that might be different. Some people are very good at having, you know, supervising PhDs, but must, but not very good at supervising or having projects, small projects for people doing medical students or F1s or F2s. So have a look, ask around who's been good and then go and see them. But go and see them, you know, looking keen with a with a bit of an idea or saying you'd really like to do something and then get involved in something else. And in terms of getting things ready for publication, you know, count back from when, when the conference is going to be. So identify something online, say, right, OK, well, I need that. To, and there's, there's a submission date. So I need to have something written up a couple of months before that so that the supervisor can have a look through it and, and, and chip in and correct things and offer some suggestions and then data collection back from that. So you might be a year before the conference when you need to start the project. So you, all these things, you, know, you can't turn up and say, oh, I'm going to enhance my portfolio three weeks before the interview. These All these things need a year or 18 months or even two years running. You ought to be constantly thinking about what you're going to do. And then, so medical student conferences, yeah. association of surgeons in training, uh, you know, that's a, that's a national thing. Look for something where the abstract gets published. Mm-hmm. So you, you can have a, a published abstract as well on your CV. Um, and it, uh, national and international conferences. So there'll be a regional society, whatever specialty, not just surgery, but any specialty have the regional society where they're in there. The bar's a bit lower there. And then national international things. Most most things count, you know, a national meeting, national association meeting is, is the same as an international, you don't have to go abroad. And in some ways, it's actually quite easy to get into some of these because, yeah. you know, for, I suppose cynically, it might be about bums <laughs> on seats, you know, they need to pay for the conference, so they need other people to attend. Yeah. And, so, and, and some of the poster presentations now, particularly with electronic posters, can be can be enormous. Yeah. And so so you can get into these things and score quite quite easily with with not earth-shattering work. I know some people get quite bogged down with having to have a publication before they go to, you know, whether it's core trainee jobs or registra- registrar jobs. Um, how important would you say would you say that is? I'd say that for core training, probably not too much at all. Yeah. You know, I think um, I think you've just shown you've done something uh, through core. Most people come out of foundation year looking very, very similar. Yeah. And so to put a bit of clear blue water in between you and the other people at the interview... Um, it's, it's quite easy to do a presentation, a completed loop audit, and uh, perhaps a published abstract is going to put you in the top top few in the portfolio. Mm. When you're thinking about portfolio, we're going to cover everything else. It's about the spread as well. There's no point having a Nobel Prize yeah. and nothing else, yeah. you know, because you're only going to score in the research in the research block. And and I think the other thing is people. What I would say about people become obsessed, they become obsessed with portfolio for selection, and a portfolio is only only a smallish percentage of mm. the marks. And for most selection processes, you could probably turn it without a portfolio and still get easily selected as long as you're a very sensible, safe doctor at, yeah. uh, at that. So most of the marks are for the clinical performance and with some of the marks, perhaps about 20% at most in the portfolio section. So I don't think, get too bogged down. I think that is one of the key things to mention is that um, don't get too bogged down with the portfolio. And I think it's about 75% of it is just weighted on the interview itself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. But we'll, we'll come and touch on the interview again. Uh, towards the end. Um, I know there are quite a few courses out there, ATLS, basic surgical skills, how important is it to to have these done? Um, So I took the approach of, um, I'm interested in in surgery, I want to get into theatre like all uh, interested people do, 
Uh, so what was the first course that was going to be useful is basic surgical skills. It's a, a college affiliated course, uh, so it counts. So that's something to bear in mind as well, is that uh, some of the courses don't count, count quite as weighted as others. Um, so you need to go for the mainstream ones. Um, and then, uh, so I, I did that in F1, and it was really handy actually. And then when you go to theatre, you don't feel like a klutz and you know what you're doing a little bit. Um, then moving forward, uh, when I started to think about ATLS, uh, I thought it'd be great because I could get um, an extra point on my portfolio. Um, but the reason I didn't do it was, um, one, it expires after four years. Uh, two, it's quite expensive. Uh, and three, clinically, I'm not really in a position where I'll be using the, mm. the core, core principles that you learn about leading the team and everything in an ATLS environment. And I think that there are probably other courses that you could go on uh, that you might use sooner. Like undoubtedly, I need to do it at some point. Mm. Um, but just depending where you go, I, I know there's some people that did it very early and I suspect they'll end up doing it again yeah. um, before they even really use it. And so probably think that through. Uh, there's a couple of courses that you can't do until your CT, mm. so you don't need to um, get worried about that. And the one that's on my horizon now is the core uh, lab skills course. Mm. And I think as soon as you start building those skills, that's probably the earlier the better. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, you know, for surgery, the, the three big ones are ATLS, basic surgical skills, and uh, and the care of the critically ill surgical patient, CRISP course. Yeah. Um, and so at some point you're going to need those, um, either because it's a mandatory curricular requirement or you know exiting from MRS from uh, uh, from core training, um, or it's just you know crisp good for looking after patients on the ward, as well. Um, and then I think I think other things your educational courses uh, are important and they're often quite short and some mm. of them are free. Your your university might offer them for not very much, and, and they're very good on the score in courses but also might count towards you know any educational components of the of the portfolio and also you know make your make you a better teacher and make your teaching experience better and just while i was talking about education what i forgot to mention in the presentation things that educational conferences mm. are wide open to people presenting presenting work there and are very encouraging of people and, and developing so education conferences something to think about so you needn't just think about research as something scientific it's mm. all the stuff you do as a doctor do you think the conferences are a good place to get prizes as well well if you're lucky yeah <laughs> i mean i think i think there's not that many prizes knocking around but there are you know, there's a lot of opportunities for prizes so prizes will count so if you've you know uh prizes and awards so if you've got a first in your intercalated degree or you get honors uh in your bmbs or equivalent uh, if you can you know, get a prize for coming top in the year or topping one of the modules, mm. uh, but you can't really plan for those. You know, you do well or not, you get the prize or not. I mean, there are lots of other prizes around that, if you enter them, then you stand a reasonable chance of of getting them. I don't think lots of prizes are oversubscribed. So there might be, you know, at your medical school, a lot of prizes around that if you write an essay for or um, do a small extra exam for you might be able to get. And they may be pretty dusty and not very well known, but they, they look just as good as any other prize on the CV. And similarly, there's lots of other medical organisations offer prizes, so the BMA, the MDU, the MPS, uh, the Women's Medical Federation, um, the Royal Society of Medicine has a, has a whole heap of prizes. So you know, just have a tour around their websites and see, see what's on offer. And some of them are very well subscribed, and I, I suspect that some of them aren't very well subscribed. So... You know, if you're not in it, you can't win it. And I think what you have to do is is, is weigh up the 
the the balance of how much effort you're going to have to put in versus versus the reward. So if it's you know write a ten thousand word essay, <laughs> you might want to do that. But if it's write a two thousand word essay, then you might want to do that. Mm. I think on that point, there's um, if you kind of peruse around and find yourself six or eight essay titles. Uh, the chances are one of them might, you might actually be interested in, yeah. or you might see that you'll get a lot of benefit out of researching that. Um, so if, obviously if you're keen, then it's going to help. Uh, and it doesn't need to be dissertation length or standard. Um, a lot of them, are, are, I entered one, it was, what's the surgeon of 2050 going to look like, or what, what's the new shape of surgical training? And some of them are quite good just for you to put your thoughts down on paper and mm. um, put your side of the argument to somebody. Right. Um, I think one of you touched on the exams and MRCS um, briefly. What, when, when would you say is sort of the optimal time to sit the MRCS? Like I know, James, you were talking about sometimes things are better to do later on. Mm. Um, would you say that's, that's the case for this? Um, I think in, in hindsight, I set mine uh, at the first rotation of F2. And I happened to be on a, an academic placement then, which possibly gave me slightly more time um, or more sociable time to, to revise for it. Um, in hindsight, I would have, or I'd advise people to sit as soon as you feel ready to revise again after finals, <laughs> because it's really quite close to what you learn for finals. It's, it's not much of an extension. There's some new things, um, but the new things are the things that are exciting to learn. Uh, if you're going down a surgical route and you go through different suture types and different things like that, and, and the stuff that you want to absorb that knowledge, but the rest of the knowledge is actually stuff that you've just clogged yourself with for finals. And the longer you leave it, the more of that you're going to lose. Um, so going back to revision was was surprisingly nice, actually. Um, going back to a bit of learning, because you spend... Did you F ever think you'd hear yourself saying no, that? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you spend all of F1 tearing around the place, and you don't really look at a book. Um, and then to go back and, and you feel like you're subspecialising and you're, you're looking just into surgery and away from the things that possibly you're not that interested in. Um, so I would, I would definitely I would sit part A as soon as possible and then part B I've spoke to different people I think there's just I'm just keeping one eye on the fact that you might need to work a few jobs to confidently go through the, the clinical stations Would you say that having experience being on the wards would help you for part B quite a bit? Well I haven't sat it but that's what I've heard yeah. and I think that's the, the approach I'm going to take because mm. um, it's difficult with head and neck or breast and things like that that, that you don't get very much exposure to at all at medical school. I think for any exam, sit it when you're ready and, and make sure you're ready because first thing is expensive mm. and the second thing um, is terribly demoralising. Having said that, I've heard some people say uh, the best the best uh, revision for their exam was, was having failed the first time. Oh, it <laughs> must, be, must be better bouncing back than I am too. So I, I just say do, do when you're ready, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's just very expensive. Uh, to do and and I think the other thing is when you take an exam particularly with the viva component it's all about practice so uh, a clinical examination thing do it and do it with some friends that are doing it and you know viva each other watch each other exam examine and the exam itself won't be as bad as your friends you know your friends will be horrifically cruel to you take you to take it apart and so the exam itself is going to walk in the park but like all these things it's about learning the skill so it becomes almost automatic when you do it in the exam because you'll be anxious in the exam and uh, and forget stuff and so the more automatic all these things can be particular examination skills or causes of or what I would do in a trauma call 
and things like that. So rehearse these things so it becomes at least the first couple of sentences become almost automatic or the first part of the examination. You can concentrate on what you're actually feeling rather than whether you should percuss or auscultate next. I think that's a good thing um, probably to do soon after your med school finals then because it just reminds you of being back in medical school and, yeah, and yeah, sitting yeah. exam after mm, exam, yeah. isn't it? I think that... Um, it comes back again to planning and timing mm. because um, medicine is very prescriptive actually the way you work through it and you can look through uh, through your medical school max and know what you have to do by the time that you, you pass out of that and then you can look through your F1 cr- um, curriculum criteria and the sign-offs that you have to do equally you can look at the person's specification for core training or registrar and you work back from there if you're a pessimist then you probably want to be sitting your part B of your MRCS two in advance of when you have to have it to become a registrar. Some people leave it right till the end and, and try and pass it first time. Um, equally with your part A, if you want to get it done in the in the first half or second half of F1, then it gives you a bit more time to fit in your part B. But the other thing you have to bear in mind is it'll be the first time that you go on to work in nights or a surgical rotor or mm. you're stuck on MAU, that sort of thing. And you also got to have a life and you've got to have your Christmas holidays and you got to have your Saturday nights and things. And there's a lot to... A lot to juggle, so you ha- you have to be prepared, mm-hmm. and don't feel too rushed going into it. Yeah, but also I think that point don't leave it too late because you know you want to leave yourself at least one go in reserve. You can't exit core training without yeah. having MRCS, and um, and it's a shame when people left it a bit late and they take it just once and mm-hmm. don't pass, much to their surprise, or take it a couple of times and don't pass. So. It's about timing it right. Don't, don't do it until you're ready, but make sure you're well prepped when you do. So uh, let's go on to talk about teaching. Um, so there's quite a few medical students and junior doctors that do informal bedside teaching. Uh, but from my own experience, I know that as however useful that is for med students, um, they don't actually, often they don't get feedback forms, which mm. doesn't actually, it doesn't show anything in your portfolio, unfortunately. Um, so I think one of the one of the key things I would say is it's make sure that you devise your own feedback form yeah. and, and get feedback for what you do. Um, is there anything else that you know you guys want to add? So teaching's really enjoyable. Yeah. You, know, you get a lot out of it. So yeah. do it. It. I mean, it is one of the things expected to you in duty of a doctor. You're supposed to teach other more junior doctors and, and medical students, and it, it, it it's very rewarding. Mm. But get feedback, like you say, and then. But I think you know if we just come to selection or building your portfolio just delivering bedside teaching or or small group teaching everyone's supposed to do that it's not going to get you very far in terms of marking if yeah. we're if we're being a little bit cynical about it and but also what develops you as a teacher i think is is doing a bit more than just a bedside teaching. so so developing a course to deliver a series of lectures and then going on a, a short teaching course or you know if you've got a bit more time a, a certificate in in medical education and, and these kind of things, which aren't aren't that hard to do, they can be online. Uh, but again, they do cost yeah. a bit of money. I think you do have to think about how much money you're expending. Enjoy it. I think the first thing with teaching, and then yeah. try and develop yourself as a teacher, and and also that you get feedback. But also, if you if you think of something new or develop a you know a new online module or something like that, or you know it's a slightly new way of delivering the teaching, then um, then research it. You know, put a questionnaire. How did it do? What do you think about this compared to the other one? And then you can present it. In an educational meeting. And it's good you can link in all these things yeah, yeah. and actually do things that you actually enjoy, yeah. which mm. is uh, a nice way of of having to tick these boxes, so to speak. Yeah, I think um, you touched on there that like technology and, and things that advance and thinking about new technology and how you can use it is 
is really interesting for it. Like this is a podcast, and ten years ago people probably didn't know what a podcast was. Yeah. And there's video, like a vodcast, um, and and it's not reinventing the wheel, but when you look on your um, university website and all the videos, there's somebody just like from the 1950s where you can say, well, I can revamp it and I can add a bit of a modern twist to it. Uh, all the science is still the same, isn't it? But it can all be delivered in a different way. Um, so I think there's, there's scope to, to redo those things. Yeah, I think I've seen uh, from my own experience, from my medical school, there was quite a few old videos that we watched and uh, felt like revamping. <laughs> yeah. Um, now let's, let's go on to talk about leadership skills. So I know that from the person specification, there's an entire box for leadership. Yeah. Um, what can you suggest to our listeners about how to develop their leadership skills or Gosh. how to demonstrate it? Oh, I don't know. It's hard to find. James, you, you have a go at defining what you should <laughs> <do first>. <laughs> That's <laughs> leadership, you see. I'm, yeah. Delegation is my key leadership skill. Um, leadership is difficult, isn't it, really? But the easiest way to do it is to use examples that are outside of work. Mm. Um, but it's difficult within work because when you're a junior, you don't really feel like you're a leader because medicine's so hierarchical in some circumstances. Um, but actually, if you can kind of cross some of the, the boundaries of the, the specification in that if you're teaching and you can set up a course, then by definition, you're kind of leading and you're um, leading from the front and then it, the people that you're leading are the medical students. Uh, if you're on the ward and you're conducting an audit uh, to make your ward better, then you might find yourself in a position where you're leading HCAs, um, you might be leading nursing staff, you might even be leading your seniors if you're pointing them in the right <laughs> direction and highlighting things to them that they, they don't really see um, in, in their roles currently. Um, then there's other things that you can join. So you can join committees and you can join um, safe, patient safety groups, things like that. It's all stuff to pad out your CV mm. and important at the same time I know that there are certain personalities that really get into the committees um, and into the, the BMA and the um, junior doctor working group and things in the hospital and uh, you have to decide if it's your cup of tea or not um, but again you, you have a you only have so much time um, and it's tempting to sign up to everything mm. but um, figure out what what you can do what you can enjoy what you possibly might make an impact in. Yeah. So, I mean, so these kind of things are often leadership management and teamwork all sort of bundled yeah. together. So not just about you know leadership, but mm. you know I think I think that's it. First, do something you're going to enjoy. There's no point sitting on a committee where you can't stand the subject and you're bored to tears. Mm. But you can get involved and you can you can make a change. You know you can you can do something and then suggest a change and make a change and. You know, and, and that feels good when you do that. It's important, I think, to get some sort of these kind of skills because later on you will be involved in, or you'll want to be involved in decision making, and being. And these are often nearly always made through committees. So you you got to get good at it. It is another skill about working a committee, about getting your ideas across to other people on the committee, about how to manage that. You know, chairing committees, etc. So I think. Yeah, the first thing you do is organising a rotor could be something that you do. That's a kind of a leadership, uh, a leadership thing. Um, perhaps uh, the local M and M meeting, uh, an audit. You know, from to get your audit and organise a meeting. If have one, and organise a meeting for your colleagues to to have, so have the have the hospital audit meeting that you led and organised and chaired. Um, and then the local trainee groups for the BMA is one thing. But if you're an F one, there might be the, you know, the F one. Board, there might be an opportunity for uh, a hospital representative from the F, F1, F2 community 
or um, core trainee on the local core training committee, the School of Surgery, or, or you know, or equivalent in the specialties, and um, and he can go from there be on asset or equivalent like that. So the, everybody needs there are lots of things where you can be represented, and you might you might enjoy it. So uh, one of the other things I wanted to touch on uh, was about uh, logbooks and surgical logbooks. So I, I was told that you know when you start F one and F two, it's good to if ever you get to get a chance to go to theatre just to keep it online um, and there's a there's a website called elogbook.com mm. yeah uh, so I've, you... I've done that the whole way through yeah. and the um, it's free to use and free to sign up um, the only thing that you don't get on that is any validation um, so you, you I think there is a way that you can find different consultants but nobody's on it it's not like a port- proper portfolio where you can ticket somebody and get it signed off um, so it's all done in good faith uh, I think that if you turn up with 200 operations and don't know what you're doing then then you'll kind of be found out um the things that i the way i do it is um i, I log everything uh, whether that's camera holding or actually performing a skill myself um if when when you're a junior you might get to the point where you're allowed to close or you're allowed to do clips in the skin for example so then i would put um laparotomy there's a little note section at the bottom I put the date all the criteria that they want and then I put laparotomy and then I put things performed by me and I'd say skin um, clips to skin and then you see over weeks to months to years and then those things slowly build up and then you say oh actually on this one I opened this one I closed and uh, nobody's going to expect you to be doing operations on mm-hmm. your own uh, but before you know it there'll be abscesses on there and then there'll be 20% of appendix you've done 40% of appendix and, and you'll get there eventually uh, but until you're a core trainee and you have the ICP portfolio, you can't really log everything. That's, that's done through e-logbook. Is it? Yeah. Okay. yeah. So I think e-logbooks, e- e- so I'm not a shareholder, no. I'm no best interest here, <laughs> but uh, e-logbooks, e- uh, I think the way to go. And the other really good thing about it is that you have an app for your mm. for your mobile device. And I think two things about that is it helps you enter the data at the time and the notes that James mm. says, but also it avoid you get into any potential scrapes with confidentiality so you enter the I date mean, of birth and well, the hospital number use it offline offload it later so you don't have to go around with a list in your pocket which you might by mistake leave on the bus in the pub and then it gets sent back to the hospital and suddenly you're in a, 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 a lot of trouble so yeah. I, I definitely recommend that and then you know when you when you go in opening and closing the abdomen uh, is will be a massive thing when you go to court and you know people haven't started that you can do it in foundation do some abscesses like, like you say and assist at some appendicectomies. You might even be able to be part of it, you know, if it, if it looks okay and uh, you, you've been a few times. So I think get involved in theatre. You know, mm. I think one of the things that people don't do when mm. they're uh, in F1 and F2 is go to theatre. I think they have to sit on the ward and just sit on the, or sit in the mess. Mm. And you get much more out of the job. The more you put in, the more you get out. So if you go to theatre and turn up and you get involved and the people let you do stuff, your mantra should be, I think, can I do that? People aren't going to let you do stuff if you're not safe, but they'll probably forget that you're there. You know, they're allowed to let you do stuff. So, you know, even start with the skin. Can I can I put the skin clips in? And oh, can I help open the abdomen? Can I help close? Can you show me how to do half? And just be, you know, politely sort of um, assertive. Mm-hmm. Assertive, yeah. Well, it's just you there, and yeah. you know, you're the, you're the trainee, and it's and it's it'll be good for them to to help you along. But yeah, get involved, keep a record, and like James says, you would be surprised how quickly it, it all mounts up in a logbook. Mm. One of, um, I think one of the last things I wanted to 
just to touch on really is it's about the interview itself um so you know i i know it's held in around january time but i i think james you're going to come up to it at some point mm. soonish um i think that there's um there's prep that you can do for the interview um just as you do for your finals uh, so i know people have been through it and you, you have to get all your examinations um nailed down um there's a plethora of books and things preparing you for CT interviews or preparing you for registrar interviews or um, just as there is medical school finals and things um, and you can go through them there's certain popular online banks of questions uh, a couple of big ones and they're, they're useful to work your way through um, you can't get away from the fact that you need to practice um, one of my strategies is going to be um, I think from medical school and as a junior you know who the good teachers are because they know um, the examinations inside out and they can teach them so one of my strategies will be to teach every single examination that, mm. I, that may well come up so I haven't done an ENT job but I think if I can confidently and competently teach some students to do an ENT examination I think that will stand me in good stead mm. uh, rather than just just practicing with a mate. I think teaching is a very good way of learning actually because it's um, it really tells you what you don't know Especially when students ask you those questions. Mm. That, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. So it crystallises your thoughts, doesn't it? Because yeah. every, I think yeah. everyone knows the answers. Mm. And it's all like soup in your head. But it just comes out in a random order unless you've said it a lot. So it helps you be a lot more organised, which gives a much better impression of you at an interview. And an interview, you won't have to examine anybody. Or anything like that, but it's all about... But there are lots and lots of common things that come up. So a trauma scenario, an acutely ill patient in some way, some sort of resuscitation thing. And, and communication skills, of course, you know, they recruit now for NHS values. And so you have to demonstrate that you're compassionate and, uh, and, uh, and you know, and honest and transparent and can communicate well with people. So all these things, you know, come from being good. And that's what the selection process is meant to do. And also just, and also select, you know, also selecting for those things. So you're demonstrating those things. But practice with people. Identify somebody from the year before who you know did really well. Everyone knows their rankings. Everyone, you know, will quietly just mention that they came third in the world <laughs> or whatever they came in. And, you know, and say, how did you do it? What did you do? And I think the other thing that for any job in or outside medicine is have a look at the person's specification. It's always online. And there are essential and um, desirable, yeah. essential and desirable criteria. And the essential ones are things like, have you, are you, are you a medical graduate? Are you currently a felon? <laughs> um, and uh, do you have the... Can you, you speak know, English? Yeah, yeah, to a certain level, but not mm. particularly, uh, not all that well sometimes. And then desirable criteria. What you want to make yourself do is, that, that describes the person they want to employ. And what you want to do is make yourself look as close to that person as possible. And so have a look down there, see what the kind of things you want. But you need a year, 18 months, even two years to, to get yourself to that place. So the more you can look like that, then the better the chance. If you turn up looking exactly like the person's specification, especially the uh, desirable criteria, then you're home and dry. Mm. So um, as, we're, as we're coming to a close, if, you know, James, if you had to give your younger, your younger self whilst applying for, for surgery... Um, if you had to give them one piece of advice, what could you say? Um, it'd be about planning in advance. Mm. And you need to start thinking about this at third year medical student level. Uh, and the reason you do it is to give yourself choice. And I think that um, you, with no planning, you may well get onto core training. Uh, and then you might get through core training, you might get to registrar level, and you might get a number. But 
if you want to have the choice, and this is something they don't explain to you when you go to medical school, if you want choice of where in the country you work, which hospital you work in, then you really have to CV build really hard from the very start. And actually choice becomes more and more important as you get older. And that's a wise head passing <laughs> on wisdom. Mr Land? Yeah, I, I, I think that last point's very true. So you, you can, well, so I think core training, you know, you, you might get on. Uh, higher training is is a much more difficult mm. hurdle and so I think uh, you know if you start well you know get into good habits then you'll you'll carry it through um, and certainly go through core don't don't just sit on your on your laurels when you get in core is just keep gradually don't kill yourself but just keep gradually doing it pick up skills as you go along and and think ahead so what do I need to do for next so have a word with the people a bit ahead of you how did they do it and then copy some of their behaviors but basically just be keen and enjoy it you know have, mm. have a good time i think the thing that james says about choice is, is is very important though so you can you can come to selection get selected and but the only number is left is somewhere where you don't want to work mm. particularly and so you might you might end up going there just to have the number and the higher up you get and of course the closer to your first choice you're going to get so it's worth putting in some work and being good and practicing and stuff. So you need to come high enough. So particularly if your your partner is in a particular place, or you're going to be near your family, or you both want jobs in the same region, then you know you've you've got to do things like that. But on choice of region as well, the other thing is that if you don't want to go to a particular part of the country, don't put it down, because sure as eggs is eggs, that will be the place where there's a, there's a, there's a slot for you. So if you don't want to go to London or you don't want to go to Yorkshire or even these who wouldn't want to come to East Midlands everybody does but if you didn't want to don't put it down because you'll get sent there so just be careful just be careful what you choose and only put the things you actually want to go to yeah well thank you very very much um and just to we'll we'll summarize now so um for audits uh presentations and, and research essentially pick something that you are interested in really um and try and link them all together you know if you do some research you can or if you do an audit rather uh, you can then take it to a conference and present it there um and when it comes to exams and courses try to time them right um is i think the key advice from us really uh when it comes to leadership do something you know you don't have to you don't have to pick a specific role um choose something that won't be too much work for you to do given that there's so many other things that you're, you're going to have to do at the same time, such as, you know, starting a new job and, and rotating from place to place. Um, but you can do display, just, you can display leadership qualities on the ward um, just by doing very, very simple tasks. And uh, just keep, keep in mind that you should update your logbook as you go along. You can download this app that Mr Lund's been telling us about and, um, and remember to talk about all this in your interview when you go. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not psychic, you've got to tell them. <laughs> yeah. So, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks.